found out later that that job didn't go through. I wasn't able to do it, so I called Pastor Josh back, and he said, well, maybe uh, you might want to preach on stewardship or, you know, whatever God lays on your heart, but that might be something that's, you know, that's pertinent. And, and I, I, I thought about that, and I said, that'd be great. You know, I've, uh, for those of you that, that do know me, I've done um, uh, Financial Peace, Dave Ramsey's course, and taught that, uh, and I really am a firm believer in understanding uh, that stewardship is is uh, is important. That we are we own we own nothing. God has blessed us with everything that we have. Our talents and our abilities all come from Him, and so uh, I think it's important for people to understand uh, that God's entrusted us with with our finances and and has a specific plan for us to do that. So I was going to go in that direction, but as I was praying and preparing, God just kind of led me in a different area. It's it's still stewardship, but it's not financial stewardship. Um, God's given us more than just money. If everyone would just take a moment and breathe in and breathe out, and if you keep doing this for the rest of the service, then um, you're, you're enjoying one of the gifts that God has given us. We're alive. <laughs> you know, if you, if you stop at any point, we may have to call, you know, somebody to come and, and address that. Uh, so as long as we have life, that is something that is a gift that God has given us that's a precious gift that uh, will make a huge difference, not just in the time that we have here, but in the lives of others that we come in contact with. So what, what the Lord laid on my heart was to talk about the other things that God has given us. Uh, one of those is time, time on this, this planet, Earth, time. And the other, the other gift are those talents and those abilities that each of you have that are unique to you. I'm so glad we're not all the same because then when I would go to tell a joke, everybody would already know the answer and it just would be boring. It would be no fun. You know, everybody would be the same. We're unique because God created us that way because that's the way he wanted the world to be with all of our, our, our differences, our uniqueness, uh, so that we can populate this world and during the time that we're here be a blessing to everyone that we come in contact with. So what I wanted to talk about and share with you today is God's plan for our life, not just with finances, but our life. Why are we here? What is our purpose? What have we been placed on this earth to do and what have we been placed on this earth to be? So the first thing that I want to do and something that we need to do is reconcile Two things. God's perfect plan for imperfect people. How does a perfect God have a plan for an imperfect people who live on an imperfect world? How can that be fulfilled perfectly? How can that be done? And that's the question I want us to address today. I want us to look at this um, and see what the answer is. How does God work through us? How does God use us, his vessels, to make a difference and make an impact in the world that we live in today? If you'll turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, verse 11. If you have been here, you've probably heard this, for, this verse many times. It was one of our power source suggested readings, so all of your pastoral staff have this one memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. So my question you, to you today is, how many of you are billionaires, 
Anyone here billionaires? How many of you have never been sick and never been injured? Okay, so there's, there's none of us that have met this criteria, if we look at it that way, prosperous and not to harm you. That's what God said. His plan is to prosper us and not to harm us. So if we are not billionaires, can we fulfill God's plan for our life? The answer is yes. Before we get into it, I'll, we'll look at the word and see what it says. But the answer is yes. Can we serve God if we've been sick or if we are sick or if we are injured or if we've been disappointed or if we've been discouraged? Can God use us to make a difference and an impact in this world? Short answer, yes, we can go home. But long answer is, let's see an example of that in the Word. Now, when we look at God's plan, sometimes we look at it as, this is point A, God calls me to ministry, point B is a straight line, right? I'm a pa okay, God's called me to pastor a church, okay, I go to Bible school, that's point, that's right here, next step, next step is, all right, I'm full-time in a church preaching. That, that sometimes happens, and sometimes that is God's plan. More often than not, it navigates through an imperfect world, imperfect decisions that are made, life happening to us where we did the right thing, but someone else did the wrong thing, and it changed our course, and we continued to move forward in a roundabout way. So that plan is, is not always a straight, straight path. Sometimes our expectations, our expectations regarding God's, God's plan is that it is a straight line with a, divine, or with a defined destination. But really what God's plan is is the journey. It's the whole journey from step one to step two to step two, 2,673. God's plan is every step along the way. Have you ever looked at, and, and I've, I've done this, I like to, to watch people. You know, I'm one that likes to sit in the mall and just kind of guess what people's background is and what they're like and what they've been through or what they have been been, been through in their lives. And um, one thing that I've noticed is life affects people differently. Have you ever seen um, a really old, bitter person that's just crotchety, angry at the world, we used to go to, um, to the nursing home to visit my great-grandmother uh, on a regular basis. We'd go at least every week um, and go and see her. And one time she asked for a Coca-Cola, and she wanted, uh, so I took some, some change and was going to the Coke machine and, and, and got one for her and started to leave. And uh, there was this man sitting there in his, his uh, wheelchair, and his eyes just looked dark, you know, just like the light was gone. And he said, hey, do you got a quarter? And he looked at me like that, give me a quarter. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this is for my grandmama. I don't have any more change. And he said, you whippersnapper. And two things happened right then. One, I thought that was really cool. Someone directed whippersnapper at me because I thought that was pretty awesome. I can now tell that story. Uh, but secondly, it made me realize something impacted his life at some point that took that joy of a child away from him. You know, the joy that I'm sure as a child, when he got that Christmas present he wanted, his eyes lit up. Where did it go? Where did that go? 
So I wondered if just life just kind of took that out of you when you had difficult circumstances that you had to face, when you didn't get the present you wanted for Christmas, when your parents divorced, or when, when you lost someone that was close to you. I, I started to wonder if life caused that light to go out in people's hearts and lives. And then I met Sister B. How many of you? I think there's maybe two people who know Sister B. All right, several of you know Sister B. Um, she, uh, she went to First Assembly of God and was actually the organist um, back in her day. And uh, she had the, the beehive haircut, you know, that was really popular in the 60s. And I was told, I didn't get to experience this, but when she got going on that organ, that, that beehive would start a bouncing pretty good. And uh, she, would just, she just loved the Lord and uh, was in our church for a, a very long time and just a precious woman that was always always had that light in her eyes. And I think that's what, what, um, what got my attention. I was like, She's, she hasn't lost that. She, maybe, maybe life has been perfect for her. But the more that I got to know Sister B and hear the stories of what she had been through in her life, I realized that wasn't the case. Now, Sister B never complained. She never, never said anything, but her husband was not a, a believer and uh, was, was not very pleased with her going to church at all and let her know on a regular basis. Uh, from what I understand, again, this is not directly from her, but physically and emotionally being told that she shouldn't be involved at all with the church. But she went every Sunday, and she brought her children with her. She played that organ, and she worshiped God with all of her heart. And we came to a place in the church where there was a transition, where we moved from one um, one pastor to the other. Uh, pastor Mike Bruner was the pastor at the time, and because of health reasons, he had to step down. Um, and Sister B actually had been sent to the hospital, and I just found out during this time was we were in transition, and she hadn't said anything, but her family called and said, hey, she's, she's in the hospital and coming home today. And um, I, at, at that time, we didn't have um, C.J. Varney that we have now that's awesome with, with food ministry and, and reaches out and uh, really blesses our, our family, our congregation, um, which, is, which is awesome, which we should. And thank God for, for CJ and the work that she does to, to, in our ministry here. So at, at that time, I was the, um, the, wor the worship leader, the uh, youth pastor, the children's pastor, the pastor, the um, women's ministry director, the maintenance. Uh, it, it was just me at the time. And um, also the food coordinator. So I, I got to work on that, and I, I brought her a meal at home. And um, Sister B knew that the pastor had, had just left and that there was going to be a transition. We'll have a new pastor coming in. And, and I came in, and I, and I started to say, well, how are you feeling, Sister B? And I didn't even get it out of my mouth. She said, how are you, Lance? And I said, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm doing well, but I'm, I'm here to minister to you. I came to, to, to bless you, not, not, not talk about me. She said, well, I know the pastor's leaving, and... I just wanted to make sure, are you going to stay here? Are you going to be here? Are you okay? Or is you and your family going to be all right? I've been praying for you. <laughs> Still gets me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but the, the light of life in her life, she was far less concerned about the things that she had gone through she had a right to be discouraged and despondent. But instead of being wor worried about how her ailment was, uh, what she was going to eat that evening, she was worried about me. How are you? 
are you going to be okay? And it was at that moment that I understood that life doesn't do that to people. People decide to allow it to happen to them. It's our choice. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to go through an example that, um, that God gave me um, in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Uh, we're going to look at the, the life of, of Joseph. And Joseph uh, uh, experienced life to the full. Um, and he's a great example of, of, of life happening to him, life, God reaching in and rescuing life when he did the right thing and it didn't get rescued. So I just want to go through, and I'm, I'm going to summarize his life. Again, this is, uh, you can read this at home later if you want to. I'm just going to kind of go through what happens um, in summary form. Uh, but it's uh, Genesis 37 through 50 when it deals, it, that deals particularly with Joseph. Um, they pause at chapter 38 and they talk about Judah and uh, Tamar. And it seems like a weird insertion into this. Uh, but if you go through you'll, and you listen to what we talk about as far as God's plan and his timing and his purpose and how, how, how perfect things come out of imperfect things, you'll see why it's there. Because that's talking about the lineage of, of Jesus and how he came about through the line of Judah and Tamar, which was Judah's daughter-in-law. So it's an interesting story as you read through that. It's another message. We won't go there right now. Uh, but if you do go back and read it, I did want to explain why that was kind of inserted uh, into the storyline. So let's look at Joseph. In, in chapter 37, the first verse, it talks about uh, Joseph being 17 years old and out tending the flocks with his brothers and, and their families. And it says he comes back to his father and gives a bad report. Now, as we go through the life of Joseph and look at what he does and who he is, um, we can start to see some of the talents and the abilities that Joseph has. Joseph is a leader. Joseph is an analytical troubleshooter. He looks at things and sees better ways to do things. So it doesn't say clearly here, but I think the bad report that he gave his father was not necessarily anything about his brothers or, or their, their families. It was just like... Hey, Dad, they're doing it all wrong. I think if we use this plan, if we, if we keep them over at this, this, side, this, this city and keep them on this hillside, they're going to flourish, they're going to grow, the sheep are happier here, they're going to multiply. But right now they're bringing them over to, to Dothan, not Alabama, so no dispersions to Alabama. Uh, we're going to bring the, they bring them over there, and it's, it's hotter, the water is not as plentiful, and they're not happy, so we're not going to see increase. And so... His father said, well, that makes a lot of sense. I'll gather your brothers and tell them you have a better idea and that they should do it your way. So, so he did. And he said, and as a matter of fact, because Joseph came up with such a great idea, we're going to give him a coat of many colors. And all you guys, you don't get one. But he does because he's my favorite. You know, back then it was okay to have favorite kids. We, we don't do that anymore. They're all our favorites. But back then, this was the one. So... His brothers decided to be jealous at that point. They decided. They made that choice, right? They decided to be jealous because her, their, bro their brother was getting more attention than they were and that they were being told that they did things wrong. How many of you love to be told you're doing stuff wrong? 
<laughs> There's a few back there. Yep, yep. Not many. It's not fun to be told that. But again, as you grow and learn, you, you get to a point where, please, if I'm doing something wrong, tell me. I don't want I don't want to learn the hard way. I'd much rather rather learn the easy way if possible. Um, so here's Joseph. He gave them the plan, uh, or his father gave them the new plan to watch the sheep, and his brothers go out again to uh, watch the sheep. So uh, later on in the story, uh, Jacob tells Joseph, "Okay, I want you to go and check on the the brothers, see how they're doing, see how the new plan is working." And he said, great, okay, I'll go there. So he, he went to head out to uh, Sachem, which was where they, they were told to go, which is the good place. Um, again, this is not said in Scripture. This is just what I'm, I'm seeing in my imagination what's happening. Um, so he goes there, and he sees they're not, they're not in Sachem. And he asks somebody, he says, Where's, where are my brothers? They're supposed to be tending flocks over here. And he said, oh, they've already left. They went over to Dothan. And he's like, oh, those dummies. When are they going to learn to do things right? So he starts traipsing over there to tell them, you know, hey, get back to doing the right thing, not realizing all of his, his boasting and arrogance that, that, uh, that aggravated them. And I skipped a part. Before this happened, Joseph shared with his brothers this awesome dream that he had with stalks of, of wheat bowing down to him and saying that that represented them. And they were like, we, we are, you're the youngest, we're going to bow down to you? And they were not very happy about that. They were not pleased to hear that uh, Joseph was having these dreams and that he actually shared them with them. Uh, so, you know, wisdom would be <laughs> maybe you keep some things to yourself. Your brothers are already aggravated with you for coming up with a better plan than what they've been using for years. Probably not say, hey, guess what? I just got this dream. I think it's from God. You guys are all going to be bowing down for me one day. You might not want to share that. And then they bring that to their father, and their father says, well, you know, he is a smart guy. You might be. And uh, then, then Joseph goes on to say, oh, yeah, but I had another dream, too, that the sun and the stars were bow bowing down to me as well. So I guess that means everybody, Dad. <laughs> and his dad was like, um, you think your mom and dad are going to bow down? Now, we learned from uh, last week when uh, Pastor Brad was talking about this um, that Jacob went through some stuff in life. Um, so he did experience that. Um, and he, instead of being offended by what was said, he took to heart and said, hmm, I'm going to have to watch this boy. I need to see what happens in his life. So that brings us back to where he's, Joseph is, Trump is, is, is going over to tell his brothers that they're doing it wrong, but they had a different plan for him. They said, here comes the dreamer why don't we just kill him and get, get this over with? We're sick of him telling us what to do. We're sick, sick of the attention that he's getting. So Joseph arrives and gets thrown into a dry well. And uh, then they start to talk about what they're going to do. Now, uh, Reuben had said, that's the oldest brother, he said, you know, let's, let's wait and let's eat before we, we do anything. Just leave him in that well for a little while. And then his plan because he realized that was insane and that was something that shouldn't be done. He was trying to rescue Joseph and get him back to the fa his father. So there was a plan in place to rescue him. Um, but the rest of the story unfolds and that plan didn't come to, to pass. But I want us to stop for a minute and think about what Joseph was going through down at the bottom of the well. 
I mean, he was just a happy-go-lucky kid, just whistling and walking down, saying, yeah, I'll tell him to go back to Sacham, and we'll, uh, everything will be great. And now he's down here in a, in a pit, and he heard his brothers, his family, those that should have been the closest to him and the ones that cared about him the most, saying they are going to take his life. Something happens when we are faced with a life-and-death situation. I mean, maybe you have had one of those. Um, if not, maybe you've been on Stone Mountain and had a mean friend that liked to walk up behind you and just push you like that and then grab your shirt. I have, a, I have some mean friends that I think might do that. I won't mention Tony Hart's name at all, but, but I do have some that would just go up and do that. But at that moment, when you, when you start to go, go over, uh, fear takes you. And you're like, oh, I like life. I, I want to keep life. I don't want to lose it. I, I want it back. And then, then you, 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 you come back and you realize that, that uh, they got you and you're not going to fall. And you get a sense of relief that comes over you. And then a sense of anger that comes over you. And then, and then what stays and remains is that, that life, that joy of being alive. You're like, I'm so glad I'm alive. This is so great. It's to me, it's like roller coasters. It's it, it, that adrenaline gets pumping. You're going down the hill and you're giggling like a schoolgirl, and just you're so excited because you realize the fact that there's a track there and that there's a there's a car there, and that's preventing you from dying. So, so you're like, this is great fun. I'm not going to die, but you're still thinking, you know, it's there. It reminds you that that death <laughs> is is coming at some point, and it's important for us to complete the life God had given us and live it to the full. You know, you want to enjoy it to the best of your ability. So he's down here in the pit. Uh, Joseph is, is trying to uh, figure out what's going to happen to him. He, he realizes his life may be over in a moment. And they come up with a new plan. You know what? Instead of killing him, he is our, our family. Let's sell him into slavery. Uh, there's a, a group of, of uh, slave sellers that are coming over here. Let's sell him, and they, then he can take him somewhere else, and he won't be our problem anymore. So Joseph is now relieved. He's like, yes, I have been rescued into slavery. Not exactly the stars and the moon, or the, the sun and the stars bowing down, right? That's not really what God's plan was for his life. But he's relieved at the moment because he understands, I got a second chance. I can do something with my life. How many of you are glad you've had second chances in your life? I know I am. So he goes and he is sold into, into slavery. Uh, a man named Potiphar buys him. And immediately Joseph starts being Joseph and says, hey, Potiphar, you could save a lot of money, you know, if you, you know, turn the air conditioner down at this time of night. And, you know, if you, if you, if you reorganize what you're doing over here, I think it would be more efficient, cost effective. You could probably cut your expenses in half. And that land over there that you're not using, all you'd have to do is run a little irrigation right down the middle, double your crop size, and you'll be golden. And he's like, you're in charge. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go to the place where they had the water crashing on our video earlier. And I'm going to put my feet up and relax. Because Joseph was a good leader. That was his talents and that was his abilities. And because he understood that life is precious and every moment is important, he didn't get discouraged. He didn't get despondent. He didn't give up. 
and just say, forget it, I'm just going to get by. He said, no, I've got talents. I've got abilities. Here I am. This is where I've been planted. I'm going to do what God has given me to do. And so he rose to the top. He became the number one slave of the household. The, the owner no longer did anything except vacation. And actually, he, he went away often because Joseph ran things so well. And he also caught the eye of, of Potiphar's wife, who began to make advances toward him. And Joseph had learned something. He had learned that God had given him a second chance. God had given him a life. Maybe it wasn't exactly what the dream said, but he can bloom and, and plant right where he is. Why would he disappoint God, and why would he ruin what, what God had given him in that, that moment? So he refused, even to the point where the woman cleared the house, made sure none of the other servants were there, and grabbed him by his cloak and said, come right now. And Joseph said, how can I do this thing against God? Your, your husband has put me in charge of everything in this house and has left nothing held back for me except for you because you're his wife. I can't do this. And he scooted out of the room, probably feeling relieved. The pressure of the temptation was over and glad that he had made the right decision. Sometimes in life we make the right decision and still things don't go our way. Sometimes we do what's right, and because of others and the circumstances around us, wrong still comes on us. And that's what happened here. Potiphar's wife went to, her, went to him and said, look at this servant that you hired and brought into this house to mock us. He tried to attack me, and instead of Potiphar believing Joseph, he believed his wife and sent Joseph back into slavery. Put him in prison this time, into the king's prison or the Pharaoh's prison. So again, this is an opportunity that Joseph had. He said, I could just give up and just sit here and just let myself die in this prison. Um, God's plan for my life is never going to happen. But instead, he went to the jailer and said, hey, you know, it's a little stinky in that corner back there. I think if we could navigate this, you know, we, we might be able to reroute some things and it smell better in here and be a little bit nicer for the prisoners. And so he started doing J uh, Joseph again. He started coming up with ways to make things better. And he rose to the level of model prisoner in the jail. If you've ever listened to Brian Regan, the co comedian, he talks about that being uh, kind of a funny title, Model Prisoner. You've been given an honor as being the best at being a prisoner. Yep. You'd have to listen to it. He's much better than I am. But he's risen to the top in the prison. So he's right under the jailer again and doing the job that the jailer normally would do. But since he did it so much better, it was delegated to him. So he now became the, ja the jailer's number one guy. During the time that he was there, Joseph met a couple other people that came in there. It was the, uh, the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer um, had offended, or both of them had offended Pharaoh, so he sent them to prison. And they had heard about Joseph's wisdom. Uh, his reputation had followed him. And they came to him after they've had dreams. And they said, you know, I've heard you've had dreams and you interpret them. Can you can you interpret these dreams for us? Here's another instance where Joseph learned 
This is where Joseph grew. Instead of saying, being boastful and saying, yep, I got the dream for you. Give it to me. He said, you know what? I can't interpret your dreams, but God can, and I believe God can give it to me. So what, what, what is your dreams? So they both shared their dreams, the, the uh, cupbearer first, uh, and said he had a dream of, of branches growing and then the blooms turning to grapes, and then he took the grapes and squeezed them into the cup of the, the Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph said, the interpretation of your dream is in three days you're going to go back and you're going you're gonna to serve your uh, Pharaoh again the way that you did before. That got the, uh, the baker a little excited. He's like, oh, that was a good one. Hopefully I'll get the same thing. So let me tell you my dream. And he said, I, 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 dream, I dreamt that I had a basket on my head full of, full of bread and that birds were coming and eating it. And he said, well, I've got the interpretation for that one too. You're not going to like this one as much. In three days, you're going to be executed. The, the, bur the bread on, on the basket represent uh, the birds picking at your brains. He said, I wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> Wouldn't want to know that information. And sure enough, three days later, that happened. And when that happened, Joseph said to the cupbearer, because he knew what was going to happen to the baker, he said, please tell Pharaoh about me. Because Joseph began to see what he didn't see when he was in the pit. This may be God's hand moving me into this, this position. So he told the... The cupbearer and the cupbearer went. A uh, day went by, a week went by, a month went by, a year went by. Two years went by. And Joseph, every one of those days, had the opportunity to choose to become discouraged and give up. He could have stopped at any time being the model prisoner and just be the guy that gets by until he dies. But he continued. He never give, gave up. He never stopped. He never quit using the talents and the abilities God gave him. He continued until the day came. See, he may have been satisfied to stay at Potiphar's house. He may have been fine to stay there and be the number one slave of the house. But God wasn't. God knew there was another step in the plan for, God, for, for Joseph. That was his plan at the moment. Then his plan was to be a prisoner. And then after that plan, his plan was be to, to be the, the number one prisoner. Now it's ready for the next step. So Pharaoh has a dream, and it disturbs him, and no one can interpret it. And then it comes to the cupbearer. Oh, yeah, I know a guy. There's this guy named Joseph, and he told us he interpreted our dreams. And he was right. I came back to your service, and the bread, uh, the baker did not. He said, I bet he can interpret your, interpret your dreams. So they cleaned him up and pulled him out of the prison where he never went again. And he stood before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, can you, can you interpret my dreams? This is, a, this is a chance. Your interview's here, buddy. You better make it right. You know that you, well, you see, I, I, I had a great enterprise at, uh, when I was uh, watching sheep, and we, we really in, improved our, our processes there, increased our, our, uh, our sheep load 100%, and uh, just, and then I went to Potiphar. You know Potiphar? Potiphar, dropping names, yeah. He kept his, kept his house tip-top shape, so you know I'm a good guy. I can do whatever you need, Pot, uh, Pharaoh. I'm here for you. 
he'd learned. He said, God's in control of this, not me. I just have to be faithful with my time. I have to be faithful with what God has given me and give honor to whom honor is due. And so he stood before Pharaoh and said, I cannot. With the risk at that moment, Pharaoh saying, cut off his head, mid-sentence. And then he said, but God will give it to me. What is your dream? And so his dreams ended up as, as interpreted that, that it represented seven years of famine and then seven years of plenty. And the seven years of plenty would happen first. And so Joseph says, what I would recommend, these are going to happen. God, is, God has told me this, and I have no doubt. You need to find someone who can manage the seven years of good and begin to put, put things aside so that our, our country will not experience famine, so our people will not experience famine. And so the Pharaoh looks at him and says, I cannot think of anyone else better. Without the resume, the long list that Joseph could have given him, he was appointed as the number one lead man in Egypt right under Pharaoh. So he started working on this. During that time, they said that grains came in so much, they were running out of places to put, put it. They, they had so much in the storehouses. So they were prepared for more, more than enough for their kingdom and the, outskirt, the, the kingdoms in the outskirts. So when the time of famine came, it was as bad as they thought it was. It was so bad that it reached out to where Joseph's family was and Jacob. And so Jacob sent his family to... Uh, to Egypt because they heard that there was plenty in Egypt so that they could buy grain. So his brothers came and they just happened to have to have to stand before Joseph. And Joseph recognized them, but Joseph had changed a little bit. What was he 17 when when they first saw him? He had aged a bit, so they didn't recognize him. And so Joseph had an opportunity here to bring vengeance to uh, to take out his anger on his brothers for what his life had been like. And instead, he decided to test them and just see if they had changed. So he, he said, you guys are spies. You've come here to spy on us. I'm going to throw you into jail and ask them questions about their father and about the rest of their family. He found out he had a younger brother named J Benjamin. Um, so he decided he could use some things to see if their hearts had, had uh, changed. He sent them back and said, the next time you come, don't come and see me again until, unless you bring Benjamin. And so they went home and, and shared that with Jacob. And Jacob said, don't you bring Benjamin. You already lost Joseph. I don't, I don't want to, I, I can't bear another one. You'll send me to my, my grave. So they didn't go back. They stayed and they used the grain until it was gone again. And then Reuben and I think Judah as well went to their father and said, we've got to have this grain. Uh, I promise you on my life, he will come home no matter what. He's going to be here. We're going to make sure that Benjamin comes back. And so they go, and we know the, if you know the story, the rest of the story, when he goes up to Joseph and they, they visit him again, they ask for more grain, and they, they ask where, or, and Joseph says, where's your younger brother, Benjamin? And they said, here he is. I said, okay, since you've honored that, I will have a feast at my house, and then I'll send you home in the morning. And he did. He sent them at home in the morning, but he had one final test. He really wanted to see if they had changed. And I think this is probably because he still had some unresolved 
unforgiveness in his heart. And he had to kind of work that out. Have you ever had to work something out where it just took a little while? It took you some time to get over it. Sometimes it's not immediate. You, you can't just turn those things off. He's been working through this for a long time, and so he's, he's like, I just got to see. I got to see if they've changed. Are they the same or are they different? So he had his servant put his cup into Benjamin's bag and sent them on the way. And then he sent his soldiers back to get them as they had begun their journey and said, hey, someone stole the cup from me. I want to see who it is. Whoever it is is going to die. And it was Benjamin and Reuben <laughs> and Judah and the rest of the crew were like, oh, no, <laughs> what have we done? And when they came back, they, they all, <laughs> it, it says specifically Judah stood up and said, hey, take me. Let me be your servant. Do whatever you want to me, but please let Benjamin go home because it will, it will devastate our, our father if we don't allow him to go home. And so at that time, Joseph couldn't contain himself anymore. He sent everyone out of the, the room, and he revealed himself as their brother. And at first they were fearful, and this is what Joseph said to them. If you'll put up uh, Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for sending me here. Because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. Because it was to save lives to send me ahead of you. Joseph understood his plan. He understood the reason that he came. He understood what we have to understand is that God's plan is not a destination. This is not the destination for Joseph. The destination was in a few years when he turned 110 and left this world for eternity. That's our, our destination. But God's plan for our life is not to get somewhere it's to go somewhere. It's the whole journey. It's every stop that we make. It's every contact we have with another person. It's every time, every door that opens, every door that shuts is God's plan for our life. What we have to do is decide to not give up, to not get discouraged when the plan takes a turn, when you expected it to go straight. When the, the thing that you wanted most, you didn't get. You don't stop being who God has called you to be because you've been disappointed. You don't stop being who God has called you to be if someone has wounded you. You don't stop being who God wants you to be because you're tired. Because you don't want to be there anymore. Because you don't want the responsibility of using the gifts and the talents that God has given you. You don't give up. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. This one's not in my, my notes, guys. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For God at the proper time, we will, with God, in doing good. Sorry, I've, I can't read my own handwriting. In the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
later on in Joseph's life, his, his father dies, and his brothers come to him again, fearful that, well, now that, his, now that dad's gone, he may just wipe us out. He may still be harboring that, that unforgiveness and that, that bitterness. But in chapter 50, you'll see in verse 20, it says, You intended me harm. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives, which was what God's will was. And if you read on in, in chapter 50, you'll see that, that grain, uh, money ran out from people even in Egypt. They couldn't afford to buy from the, the Pharaoh anymore. And so Joseph said, well, why don't you give us your land, and for one, you can continue to work it, and you just pay us one-fifth, and you just keep, keep working the land, and you get to keep what it, you know, the other, the other four-fifths of what you make. And we'll continue to grow, and we'll, we'll continue to survive as a society, and we'll be able to reach our entire known world, which they did. So he actually did lead, lead the known world at the time. So his, his dream did finish but i think so many times we think that's the destination he achieved his dream but that's not the that's not god's plan it's every step just like we said all the way up to that point where he was 110 year, years old and i pray every one of you go that far and then we go to be with jesus for eternity and hear him say well done well done good and faithful servant God's plan is perfect, despite imperfect people. We see in Joseph throughout his life that he had lack of wisdom early on. He shared things he probably shouldn't have shared, and he caused his brothers to be envious. We see his brothers were imperfect because instead of trying to be better, they were envious. As they went through their life, they learned their lesson, and with Benjamin, they were different. God rescues us, but sometimes not exactly how we hoped he would. Sometimes we're disappointed in the way that he rescues us. But we have to realize he knows what we need to do. He knows when we need to be the lead slave in the house. He knows when we need to be the lead prisoner. And he knows that those things have to come before the world is saved. Potiphar's wife she was a temptress. She, she tried to, to change him. You have to deal with those temptations. Joseph did not give to this one, but there are others that have. What happens when you fail? Do you give up? Do you stop? Do you stop using the, the gifts when you fail? If he would have failed here, if he would have failed and nothing would have happened, he could still use his talents and his abilities, but you know what? He may have stayed in that house. He may have never got to Pharaoh. So they affect our plan. Is God's plan perfect? Yes. But God's perfect plan may stop at different places based on circumstances and things that happen, choices we make and choices other people make for us. God's plan is perfect despite the imperfect, the imperfect circumstances. Those times when you were right and God didn't rescue Times, timing didn't match exactly what you expected. Having to start over again, that is a tough one. 
beginning from scratch doesn't make sense in our minds, but God knows who you need to start over to touch. Learning God's plan. Now, this is, I'm sorry, this is my longest bullet. Um, usually I'm more concise, but I'm a little rusty. It's been a while since I've been here. So I'm sorry if it's filling the whole screen, but this is important. I think every bit of it is. Learning God's plan carefully navigates through imperfect people, imperfect circumstances, difficulties, and disappointments, and that, and that every step, whether we understand it or not, is important to fulfill God's plan. It isn't always fun. It isn't always easy, and it's not always clear to us. We can't see on the other side, but we have to trust to fulfill God's plan, you must learn to fulfill God's plan in each and every moment, each step of our life. Each breath that we take is God's plan for our life, unless we choose it not to be. So what is God's plan for you? What is God's plan for you? It's as unique as you are, but it always includes certain things. The first thing is for you to know him. That's the most important. To know him. You can be a soul saver, you can be a worker that does good deeds, but if you don't know him, you've missed it. He wants more than anything in the world for you to have a relationship with him. Because who do you turn to when you're in the pit? Who do you turn to when you don't understand what you're going through? Who do you turn to when you're sick and you're not getting better? If you know him, you know his love, and you know you're not alone. The second thing that always is God's plan for your life is for you to trust him when you don't understand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make those paths that look so crooked and twisted and turned, make them look straight. You know, because if you're looking all the way down there for the, de the destination, and every step we take, every step we take is God's plan, it's straight. You know, if you're looking over there and the step's right here, that was a straight, straight line, wasn't it? It just means as we're going through life, we're going around here. But every step we take is straight to the next point. Trust him, even though it doesn't make sense. When you see that there's a valley there, you're standing on the edge of the, um, the, um, the Grand Canyon, and you go to step out, and you don't see anything down there, but God says go. You just close your eyes and go. Trust him. Trust him. And the other thing that, that is always a part of God's, God's word or God's plan for our life is to share him. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I had a at Master's Commission, their, their theme was um, to know God and to make him known. And I think that's really it in a nutshell. That's what we're here to do. We're here to let our light shine, to use the things that God has given us, the life, the time we have here, and the talents and the abilities that he's given us. 
to fulfill God's purpose and plan today and then tomorrow and not to give up and not to be discouraged and not to be afraid. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes.